everyone. Welcome to an episode of the Grab Lives podcast. I'm your co-host, Trevor Steppen. I'm joined, as always, by Jonathan Vargas. And today we have a return guest. Her name is Daniela Bora. And I just want to get our disclaimer out of the way. Our views uh, expressed in this podcast are not the views of the Los Angeles Fire Department. So, uh, 10 weeks ago, I welcomed my son into this world. And upon bringing him home... Leah and I uh, began to feel the lack of a certain tribe in our lives, right? My family lives in Texas. Leah's family lives in Colorado. And just like everything else in my life, when I feel unsupported, people show up, right? So one of the things that happened to me is, you know, I listen to three podcasts besides Grab Lives uh, pretty religiously. One is Aubrey Marcus. The other is Man Talks with Connor Beaton. And the third one is The Great Unlearn with Cal Callahan. And Cal Callahan had a guy on named Chad McLean. And Chad McLean owns Mental Joe Apparel. And his story as um, an ex-Army Ranger who went from a pill addiction to seeking um, inner work through the use of psychedelics really resonated with me. And I hit him up and I just told him how much the episode meant to me. And he sent me a t-shirt and that's what he owns. He owns an apparel company. And this is the most high quality t-shirt I have ever put on. I'm so impressed with the quality of the t-shirt and the design. Please go to their Instagram. Uh, He's out of Phoenix Valley and he's doing amazing things for the world of veterans struggling to recover from PTSD. Now, on that same note, John endorsed uh, treatcalifornia.org last um, time we recorded. And we just want to remind everyone the fire service tends to follow uh, the military service. And we've seen an enormous success for veterans who are healing their PTSD through the use of psychedelic therapy or, you know, approved therapy, therapeutic use of ketamine, MDMA, all of these sources of inner work that you may not know exist, right? So we want to encourage everyone to go to treatcalifornia.org and sign the petition, which could potentially help first responders get access to things that aren't your mainstream form of therapies. For instance, antidepressants or, um, you know, your, your classic forms of therapy. So anyways, go to treatcalifornia.org. And if you have an experience with TBIs, we also want to continue to endorse Bud's Odyssey. John mentioned this in a previous podcast. He had the privilege of meeting um, this organization down at the the conference for uh, peer support in San Diego. Um, And we just want to continue to advocate for the organizations that we meet that, that resonate deeply with us. So again, I found this tribe you know, on, on the internet, I found uh, Aubrey Marcus just interviewed Gabby Reese and Laird Hamilton, and they're all talking about becoming parents and, and, and what that means, right? So this is the main focus that I have, right? Is how do I show up as a conscious parent and as a partner? So the thing that rocked my world was I felt it was more natural to show up as a new father than it was to continue an intimate, romantic, connected relationship 
with my partner. And it scared the hell out of me because I thought we were so stable going into the pregnancy, going into the delivery, going into the birth and going into transitioning to our home life. Where is all of this stress coming from? Why are these patterns from my childhood showing up? And as I'm lying in bed wondering if, you know, Leah and I are going to make it through uh, raising a child, Daniela hit us up. And we had Daniela on, uh, I think, this summer. And Daniela is an MFT, a marriage and family therapist who treats a lot of LA City firefighters. She has a specialty for connecting with first responders. Daniela is a mother herself. And she reached out to John and I, and she said, you know, two thirds of new parents report a decline in satisfaction during the first two years of parenting. And, you know, John is a, is a role model of mine, right? Cause, uh, John has a stepdaughter who's eight, who we love. Her name's Paisley. And I have a new son who's 10 weeks old, right? And you may be a new parent, or you may have a person at your station who's a new parent. And in an attempt to sympathize with what they're going through, as in you see them put their stuff on the rig, and then they immediately go to the TV chair. We want to, we want to explore a conversation today on how to show up as a parent and how not to give up, how not to settle on this new reality of less intimacy, less time, less sleep. Um, and so we're always trying to find the things that serve us. And, you know, I'd be a liar if I told you I didn't depend on Leah enormously. And so I'm just not willing to accept that I have this love for my son at home. And yet on this other side, I'm kind of feeling uh, deficient in how I show up as a partner. So Daniela found us when I needed her most. <laughs> and she is back today to talk about a couple courses that she's certified in, that um, she was trained by John Gottman. It's, yeah, it's part of the Gottman Institute. And so um, I have the training and I'm like a certified uh, leader in two, two programs. One of them is called um, The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. And then the other one is called Bringing Home Baby, which is all about basically bringing a baby home into your life and how to um, secure marital satisfaction or relationship satisfaction. Because as you said, you know, two thirds of relationships report a decrease in their satisfaction. In Try to get closer to that mic. Okay. Uh, two thirds report, you know, decrease in the satisfaction. And so the goal is to, you know, not have that. The goal is for us to be satisfied in our relationships. So, cause the number one thing that we can give our kids is, a healthy relationship with our partner actually we know that if we have a healthy relationship with our partner our kids will thrive and so you know it's interesting a lot of people think i just have to focus on baby focus on baby focus on baby when really not saying you shouldn't focus on the baby but you have to focus on your relationship in order to ensure that your baby is actually going to be okay yes and this whole process has been very humbling right and you know and i prepared for this experience i you know, a lot of the work that I've done is how do I become more patient? How do I become more gentle? How do I become more aware of myself so that I'm not projecting onto my son? And 
like I said, the thing that surprised me most was not my relationship with my son. It was, mm-hmm. it was being in a partnership with a new mother mm-hmm. and I'm a new father yeah. and there's, there's behaviors that are showing up there. There's a new anxiety that's showing up. There's sort of disagreements that are occurring at three in the morning when your yeah. baby's crying, you know? And I remember in our last episode, I said, I am so proud that I'm going to show August a healthy relationship. And then here I am finding myself in the thick of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've, I haven't been uh, too shy about my relationship with anger and how that, for me, that's the emotion that I'm still working at understanding i'm still working at holding in me right and man i was totally surprised at how i would feel when my baby was crying for an hour i mean it it really was an assault on so many different emotions you know like a heartbreak for this little soul that you know can't communicate with me but i'm i'm witnessing him scream in agony Right. And so there's that your heart is breaking for your child that you're just desperately trying to help. And then also, you know, I'm so outcome focused that when I have him in my arms and I'm rocking him, I'm bouncing and I'm really hoping he falls asleep and you you work at it for 45 minutes and you're bouncing on the yoga ball. And then you stand up to put him in the bassinet and he wakes up. That is a a major like yeah. uh, you know collapse yeah. of an expectation and a lot of that just like most of our greatest lessons in life they're not convenient no. you know this isn't happening when i'm well fed and well rested yeah. this is happening when i'm already pushed to the limit and it's funny both of our focuses it, it it's on gus right but i've also found myself hiding in my fatherhood as in if i have five percent who am i going to give it to i'm going to give it to my little baby yeah and i've had to get really strict and disciplined on okay yeah you know it's 9 p.m and he just went down and all you really want to do is put your feet up and rest Mm -hmm. but there's still that difficult conversation that you have to have with leah before you go to bed and that changed everything for me and and daniela you've been so great you've given me books to read you've you've really helped me as someone who's not officially a client of yours, you're so generous and you have this wealth of knowledge and you're absolutely right. If your specialty is first responders, a lot of first responders are starting families right now. I just Mm -hmm. came to a Halloween party that John hosted and there were four two month olds. Mm -hmm. So I think this subject is very relevant, not just for me, but any, any parent in general, I don't, if you're a step parent, Mm -hmm. if you're co-parenting, or if you're parenting, it doesn't matter if you have a baby. It doesn't matter if you have an eight-year-old. Yep. You're having to accept a new reality of sometimes scheduling intimacy, which for me feels like an oxymoron, you know? Um, and so there's just a lot of adjustments. There's a lot of upheavals going on. And I, I think that this subject is just so relevant, you know? Yeah, and honestly, this we've only really started talking about this in maybe the last, like, I don't know, 15 to 20 years. Like we've, they did a, someone did a study in like the, I think it was the fifties or the sixties and reported, you know, like parents have high stress. There's relationship stress when a baby is born and it was dismissed of like, this can't be real. This can't be right. No, like bring home a baby. Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. You know, we didn't pay attention to it. Then in the eighties, they did another study and they're like, oh, this might actually be a thing. Like this is validated. (laughs) And they've done, you know, tons and tons and tons of studies now to see like, oh, this is true. Like we do have higher levels of stress. There is, you know, there is a huge impact 
on the relationship when we bring in this baby into our home into our home everything shifts everything changes we gain a new role we're not just you know girlfriend or wife anymore i'm also mom oh like, yeah or i'm also dad your like, body is not your own yeah and, but it's a whole nother role and while that can also be really be- there's it, there's two sides right there's there's the beauty in that and there's also the challenge in that of, yeah. you know it's like you get to fall in love with this new person like you get to fall in, in love with leah the mom and she yeah. gets to fall in love with trevor the dad and also she doesn't want or at least i know for me it's like i don't want to just be mom like i no, want of to course have not. like i i want you to see me also as your partner absolutely and so how do we but it's hard right like how do we have that when i have a 10 week old yes um it takes effort right it takes so much effort and i think that this is what becomes problematic is in the beginning as you're saying like i'm tired right i'm not sleeping so what do we do what's the first thing to go sex sex can be one or just just relationship intimacy whether that be physical or emotional the relationship typically is the one that suffers because you do have to feed your baby, right? Like you got to right. feed and water your baby. So that can't, that can't be the thing that goes. So oftentimes it's the relationship that goes. And there's a huge cascade effect to that when we stop nurturing the relationship, not only just for the relationship, but also for the baby. Like there's a huge impact in that. Yes. And it sneaks up on you yeah. pretty quick. Like I noticed, you know, in the first two weeks, it was it was great. It was all fucking rainbows and butterflies, right? And and then it started to kind of show up, like after two weeks of not sleeping, you know. And I I was humbled because I thought, dude, my career has prepared me for this, but it's just a different kind of yeah. sleep deprivation. But what I'm proud of is is this moment in time, right? We're not just accepting, okay, I'm one of the two thirds. Mm-hmm. We're we're trying to do something about it, and I just want to. I want to praise first responders right now because we we use the word resilient and sometimes too often of a context of, oh, you're just going to put your head down and bull in a China shop and, mm-hmm. and use your muscles to get it done. But we're also resilient in problem solving. And so, you know, just like when John and I first started seven years ago, we always heard you're going to be tired the rest of your career. It's going to go by really quick and you're probably going to get cancer. And now we're having guys like um, Jason Villagianti come on and Sean Baker. And we're talking about, okay, what can we do about this? We're not just willing to accept, okay, we're going to be tired for the rest of our career and get cancer. We're like, no, fuck that. I'm too resilient for that. I've worked too hard. I've taken too, too much care of my body to let it just collapse based on my circumstances. And that's how I feel. I have the same kind of resiliency with my relationship. I, I am not willing to, to give up on it. Right. Yeah. And so that's why we, I hit you up pretty quick, you know, and we, we have talked and I, it's funny because you, you say effort and it's, it's it, honestly, it's a, it's a really tricky subject because when we talked, you know, I told you, okay, we're fighting cause we're not sleeping. We're not eating. We're not, you know, connecting intimately like we used to. And it's kind of like a no shit. Like, you know, you lost all of these things that you had that, that helped you be happy. Right. And so it's kind of like a no shit that things are going to be hard because you're transitioning and now two is three and that's a whole thing. Right. Like Leah and I, when we pack up to go out, dude, are you kidding? It's crazy. It's it's like actually wild when you have a baby. We're so tense. We always joke that it looks like when we leave our condo, it looks like we stole the baby. You know what I mean? Because we're like hurrying out to the car and I'm like rocking the car seat really quick. It's crazy. And it's like, if you go somewhere for like one hour or a week, it's the same amount of crap. It's like, yeah, what yeah, the yeah. heck? She's Louise. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so if, um, so let's get into like, I always love playing the hypothetical, right? Cause it's, I'm not shy. And if, if, 
you said it's a 12 hour course yeah so it's a so the actual course is a 12 hour course and you you do it with your partner um and it's typically it's can be broken up into a lot of different options but uh two days three days or four days usually is what it's broken up into and so there's like lots of exercises that you do with your partner to practice a lot of this stuff um because a lot of it's learning again it's like it's we probably aren't doing we're probably the way we've been arguing in the past might not work when we have a new baby um and so we have to we have to figure out how to create time for some of those things we have to figure out what is what could it potentially look like for us to be intimate together i don't want to be touched like i just had a baby and i you know the baby's been on my boob for the past yeah. two two and a half hours like i don't want to be touched i got that she was all touched out yeah but how do we still create intimacy like there and, and a lot of that is conversational because it's like we have we didn't have that 12 weeks ago or you know 12 months ago or whatever um so it's it's a lot of it's learning a lot of it's understanding and almost all of it comes down to communication communication and one more thing so i lost my empathy Mm. and there was a there was a, a pattern that was showing up for me so when things were stressful in my childhood i felt like it was every man for himself Mm. and so what i did under this stress was i said look at me look how calm i am Look how logical I am. Look at all these walls I have up. Mm. Meanwhile, Leah has a, a baby that was on the inside, now on the outside, right? Her heart is literally in this world now, like exposed and vulnerable. So she, and, and I wasn't, I wasn't coming in to that with empathy. I was saying it was me versus you, right? If, if I'm calm, then you're anxious. And I was just looking at all the differences, all the differences. And I had this meditation come up for me where I saw myself as a victim. I saw myself as a star basketball player and I was complaining about all the other players on the team. And I saw myself transform into the coach. I said, no, fuck that. You're not, you're not the star player anymore. Big dog. That's your son. He's the star player. You're the fucking coach. And every player in this family is on this team permanently. So if you can't learn how to inspire and empathize and show up and support with compassion, then you're not who you, who you say you are. And I, you know, I know, I feel like we've kind of talked about this in a way of like, some of it is we, again, we put so much focus on the baby, but trying to like refocus that into our relationship, actually, like, yes, we all, we all want to be there for our kid, but like trying to do that for our partner of, I, I need to team up with my partner in this. Who knows better what you're going through than her or him. Yeah. Right. And so the fact that I was like looking at her as an outsider, Mm. right? I mean, and that's the thing. These are the things that can slip up. These are the things that I, I swear I'm an aware, conscious being, you know, and these are the things that in a new environment and a new reality, this is why I tell rookies, like, I don't care what kind of life experience you have. This is a, this is a really specific industry, you know, like yeah. there are going to be things that happen where you may go home and sleep for fucking 12 hours, you know, and that's never happened before, but you have to give yourself the grace and compassion there that you're in sort of a new environment you're going to be tested in ways that you've never been tested yeah and you know with a newborn it's like everyone going back to like everything is about communication is how so you know gus is in the middle of the night he's you know crying inconsolable and you go into that fight or flight mode 
you potentially have a different trigger than Leah does also. Like, why does Big it, what, what, what's going on for you is like, I feel I can't solve this problem. I'm supposed to know how to do this, oh, yeah. you know? And, and for her, again, I'm totally going to be making something up here, but like for her potentially, it's like, oh my goodness, like I failed as a mom. He's not happy. I, what am I doing? Do I even know how to do this? And so we each have two totally different triggers do we communicate about that, right? Because if you just come in and are trying to like, let's just swaddle him tighter, but you know, whatever, like that's not going to make her feel, that's not going to have her come down, right? right? So how do we, what do we, what's the antidote to that? We have to create like what's called a culture of appreciation, which is yeah. how do I validate? First of all, I have to know what my partner's triggers are, right? So I have to have that conversation. Like, what is it like for you? You know, when Gus is inconsolable for an yeah. hour, like, what are the thoughts that are going through your head? And if I can know that, the next time this is happening, I can say to Leah, like, you are a great mom. I yeah. know that this is really, really hard. Yeah. And vice versa. Like, when he's, you know, inconsolable in your arms, like, for Leah to say something like, you know, Trevor's okay. Like, if it's not fixed, you're still a great dad. Or, like, he's not something that you have to fix. He's just upset. You know, like, right. validating that, creating that culture of, I appreciate you. I see you. I understand you. Because... We, it's very easy to assume we're egocentric people, right? So it's very easy to assume my response is your response. Yeah. I think I'm a bad mom because my kid's crying. So you must think that you're a bad dad because this kid's crying. It's like, yeah. Maybe that's not, actually not what's happening. And if we if we assume that about each other, we're not connect, we're, we're disconnected, actually. Yeah. Like, transparency is super huge, mm-hmm. right? Like in every portion of the relationship, the more transparent you are leads to the answer, and if you yes. give yourself the opportunity to listen most of the time and sit back, it gives the communication level uh, another portal to what's leading on to the next. What is your needs versus my needs? Yeah. And in the end, you realize, well, the needs is for the child, right? But then that goes into the relationship as well. And the more you use that as a tool, it can give yourself this piece of like, okay, well, I was thinking about myself the entire time and not realizing what that person's thinking. Mm-hmm. You're who your partner is, now she's showing up. And it leads into a lot of what moms feel culturally, they feel a lot of shame because they feel like they're not doing something right according to this or according to that, what they're reading or what they're seeing on TV. And it's super hard for a woman to feel shame as a mother to they because they don't know what they're doing they're really going into at the same time but they also want have this expectation that's pushed upon them and it's a lot of pressure yeah and i'll be honest with you i i mean i could talk about my own experience in that but i also want to say i personally feel like dads experience that same thing i'm not a dad um but from my understanding you know like as a culture as a society when you think of like who raises a baby, who's who raises the baby, moms. Mom. Like think about it. Even like <laughs> mom, five hundred. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, so, yeah, and, so, and and think about this also like evolutionarily, right? Mm. Like the women are the ones typically who who stayed home and raised babies. Oh yeah, not just sure. not just humans, right? Animal kingdom. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of lionesses, and they yes. teach their babies how to hunt. They teach them everything. The lion is just the protector. Yes. And so what what ha- so what has happened as a culture is. Women surround women when it comes to babies. Of So the women come in and we help the, the new mom. And oftentimes what happens with that is what happens to the dad? The dad gets pushed out. Mm. And so then there is this shit, like, I don't know, maybe shame um, of I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm pushed to the outside. Oh, mom knows how to do everything. Mm. I'm just going to kind of go to the outside here. We're seeing shifts in this. We're seeing shifts in this sense of like, you know, 
even in the 50s, like men weren't even in delivery rooms. Like that wasn't even normal. They were in the bar down the street and they got the call on the landline. The bartender told them if they had a boy or a girl. (laughs) Leah's grandma has told us some hilarious stories of her husband dropping her off at the freaking OR and then picking her up with the baby and yeah. saying this is his name yeah. <laughs> like, like but that like, is that is that was that was culturally appropriate that was yeah. that is what everybody did right and so we're obviously seeing shifts in that like we're seeing even a lot of baby showers are all women we're seeing shifts in that a little bit more mm. like co-ed baby showers I'm like this is a, this is a transition and a and a celebration for both parents right. like it's, we, we are both included uh, men and women are both included in this um, so, you know, as a society, as like a culture, we have really pushed men out, I think, of like men don't know how to do things. Men don't know how to raise babies. Um, and that, you know, talking about the bringing baby home, like that is actually a huge part of what we talk about is the importance of the role of a dad. It is so important, actually, how impactful dads are in a baby and in a kid's life. Um and if we shame them of like you don't know what you're doing, they're they're not going to be a part of that, and that's detrimental. Yeah, to the kids we got to encourage men, right? We got to encourage yes. everyone to get outside their comfort zone. Because I'll be honest, a lot of times, like if you tell me that the system is rigged for mothers to raise the baby and the, the man's kind of on the outs, and you know, well, my job is to be the provider. You know, I go to mm-hmm, work, mm-hmm. right? So I might hide in that. Oh, you painted me as the incompetent parent. Okay, cool. I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just do my own thing today you and know that's what happens and that's kind of like i feel like that's cheating to be honest you know because like i i feel like i'm a good dad i haven't experienced a ton of shame relating to my son i have experienced shame in how i've shown up as a partner mm. so i mean everyone's different but it's so funny how common this stuff is because when you were <laughs> describing her triggers and mine mm-hmm. i'm like what do you have a fucking camera in my bedroom you know <laughs> like it's that common right yeah. where and like you know john and i have had conversations about scheduling intimacy right or just you know living our lives like freely right and then all of a sudden oh wait no we have to schedule we have to be aware of where is so and so and are they listening or you know totally. like it's just you're always being watched you know well, and that I think, spontaneity kind of takes takes flight it doesn't yeah, exist totally. anymore that spontaneity was really important part of the relationship and as the scheduling part goes you're like holy shit we have to like make sure we're both on the same page and then some of us may not be into it at the same time. So it's like, I don't want to be, you know, just, um, what is it called? A pillow princess is what (laughs) Haley calls it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you know, I want to be engaged at the same time. You know what I mean? And that that communication transparency leads into what a full, um, uh, I don't know, full benefit of the intimacy, intimacy as itself. Uh, as it presents but the scheduling sucks you gotta like go with it you know what i mean yeah and i I love you for talking about transparency right you have to embrace that because now like you said you know in my own head when he's crying i'm i'm like way out there i'm like sometimes i'm in my childhood sometimes i'm in the moment sometimes i'm fast forwarding three hours ahead okay if i can't put him down i'm gonna show up to work tired so like i'm all over the place and you can't assume that if you weren't great at reading your partner's mind before being a parent you're even worse now so transparency is going to benefit every single person in the family and i want to john i want to ask you something because i've noticed a trend in my life okay so i sit very comfortably in my masculine 
Um, and in certain subjects like relationship vulnerability or parenting, sometimes I have felt a little out of my comfort zone. So what I've done is I've swung very far into the feminine and I've shown up almost as like Leah's assistant and I've just kind of followed her lead. Okay. If I'm not great at putting him down, I'm just going to like pretend to be Leah. I'm going to pretend to be more gentle. I'm going to pretend to be more like soothing. I'm going to talk in a higher tone, all of these things. Right. And I don't like being there. I don't like being in sort of like a pseudo feminine. And so what I, this is, this is the trend. This is what I've, I've just spotted this pattern in my life is where I go from heavy masculine, heavy feminine. And then I eventually let the pendulum swing right back down to the middle. And that's where I am now. And Leah and I have shown up with empathy towards one another and I have my strengths and she has hers. And we're not assuming that each of us are just the mere copy of one another. And I think that that speaks to even what I was saying is like feeling like I don't know how to solve this problem. So I'm just going to follow, follow Leah's lead, assuming that Leah knows how to, you know, put, put guts down or right. do whatever. And, and that's like, not a partnership anymore. And it's not a partnership. And like what you do it might still work actually. It might be a little bit more uncomfortable because maybe it's triggering that like fight or flight response in you of like, uh, my heart rate's really high because he's still crying or, you know, whatever it may yeah. be. But like, you will figure it out. Well, one of, one of her strengths is flexibility under stress. So I've noticed, and this is the first responder thing, mm. let's say I'm bouncing him and he's not consolable. I'm like, initially i don't do this anymore but the first month i was like well you're gonna like you're this you're gonna fucking go to sleep you know what i mean <laughs> like if i just stick with this you will eventually yeah. fall asleep and she's like nah let's let's try this and the, and the more that i listened to her and and opened up my mind to remaining flexible which is very hard to do when you're stressed sometimes like you just like no this is how i'm feeling this is what i'm doing and i'm sticking with this until i completely sabotage <laughs> this whole experience you know, I'm bullheaded in that way. I'm pretty stubborn. Yeah. So she has shown me, you know, uh, skills. Like we're trading skills now versus like, let's all act this way or let's all be this way. Let's go back to the feminine and the masculine yeah. and understanding what that is. And for the listeners, uh, just to comprehend what that is, they're, they're just energies. And if you just extract yourself culturally from the idea of what masculine and feminine is, uh, the traits of femininity is going to be creativity, um, you know, perception, compassion, receptivity. And those qualities, when you're able to integrate them in a family hood, it is not necessarily demasculine or causing a demasculinity in that, in that space. Right. You know, you're just holding what that is and those you're qualities. You're an integrated man. Yeah, and you're finding balance with those things. So if you're finding yourself, yourself to be more comfortable by having those other traits, you're able to find yourself becoming actually a better, a better leader right. in the family hood. And I've put myself in a position to realize that my sole responsibility in a family is to be able to support with a foundational network of being the rock of the home. And that foundation is just holding the feminine in my family to make sure they're able to be feel super supported because women want to feel safe. And if they're not feeling safe, then they're not able to uh, attain the highest qualities who they can be right. later in their life. And being that example, just to sit back and just let them, the two women in my family, just to become who they are. Uh, but they still need that sense of, of safeness and solitude with that idea. And we always go to like this concept of like, you know, that girl's got daddy issues, right? <laughs> 
And that's always been like this judgment upon a, a woman. And surely enough, that probably caused a lot of problems for her insecurity, uh, not feeling safe. So she projects herself onto the world in a certain way and has this certain quality to it. Um, so f- for myself, I've seen just this role, this role play for myself has become um, more so just supporting. I'm not doing much. Um, and it requires for me to hold down my own foundation of myself so I don't become erratic or get involved with my own self-righteousness in a situation. Mm. Um, and it allows uh, this nine-year-old in my home uh, to really trust me, you know? And it gives uh, a sense for her to really become who she really is supposed to be. Um, so just as far as like sharing my own story, you know, I met Haley and introduced uh, her seven-year-old at the time. And it was just a, a different dynamic. And it, it was a very uh, fast-track process uh, for myself to understand my role in her life. And for me, it's just uh, working around my behavior. And how do I show up You know, when I fight with Haley and things like that? Those arguments can come up. We always talk to Paisley and say, hey, we're just kind of arguing right now, but we love each other, you know, and being transparent, you know, once again, so she just sees things, but also hears from us what we're, where we're at. Yeah. And that has shown a tremendous effort on her to really uh, grow in her own relationship with her friends and things like that. She's like, Hey, we're just fighting. Uh, but we're just, we're going to forgive each other in the end. Oh my God. You know? How super, mature is that? Dude? <laughs> she's super mature for I her know. Age. I love Paisley. Sorry. I said she was eight. She's nine. She she's just turned just nine. Her nine. Yeah, yeah. And that's such an important model for kids because First of all, it has to be like developmentally appropriate, right? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't. First I tried like, saying that to Gus. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't actually have that conversation with like probably a three-year-old. I right. mean, in a way, you maybe could, but you really should not fight in front of like little little kids. How old's your daughter, really quick? She's three. Okay. She turned three in August. She's um, an August baby, also. Um, and so you really shouldn't. You should try your hardest to not fight in front of kids. And when they become older, if that does happen, you repair with your kids. Yeah, repair because, the rupture. Because kids at a small age, they they are the center of the universe, mm-hmm. right? So if mom if mom and dad are fighting and I'm in the room, I must have done something wrong. Mom's unhappy, dad's unhappy. I'm in this room. I did something. Mm. Like we know this about kids. And oh, I used to drive myself nuts trying to come up with answers <laughs> for why people were acting the way they were. Yes, and I like, thought it was all my fault. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, like like years later, I just realized no, they weren't fucking compatible. I, had, you know, I had nothing to do with that. Yeah, but think of it, like at, at three, four, five, you don't, you can't, you don't have that. And so, how is that going to impact now our development when we yeah. when we when we go into situations like I make people upset, people are angry when they're around me. I'm oh, gonna, God, I'm gonna, you... I'm gonna tame myself. I'm gonna not, I'm not gonna speak up. I'm not gonna express myself. I'm not gonna rock the boat because I don't want people to be angry. And so, it's yeah, like, people pleasing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these patterns, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I love this episode because as a parent, like, like John saying, he has to like watch how he fights in front of an audience, an audience that is nine years old. Right. And so there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility to being a parent that like, you know, um, I want to, I want to ask you, so you said being the rock, something that's helped me recently, uh, is a different visual, right? Cause I've thought about myself as the rock, the mm-hmm. sole provider. And, and, puts like it puts like walls around me that i just can't i I can't get behind the rock anymore so i've started to visualize a container Hmm. so i visualize myself as like a crystal vase and i agree with you i think the masculine's job is to support a feminine bloom right and so like in my life right i'm the container as a father 
and as a partner and I'm that vase and I'm just like, I'm just letting the family flowers grow. And that visual has helped me because I, dude, I, I found myself like, Hey, why are you getting upset right now? Why are you getting impatient? You're the rock, you know? Yeah. And like, it fucks with me. You know what I mean? So I've, I've started using that different visual. I don't know if that no, resonates I mean, with visuals you. are super powerful, you know, and yeah. you can, if you're stuck on something, you know, within yourself, you can go back to that visual and rock miss is more like a misnomer for, let's just say the soil on yeah. which something is being built. You know, nice. that family tree, I always feel I envision my family as a family tree. Yeah. And I am the soil of which the roots are running deep. Right. And if those roots don't run deep enough, then there could be potential for the wind to come and toss that, that trunk around or that tree. And I envision this tree growing bigger and bigger as I keep watering it. Yeah. And so if I water it with, you know, gratitude or all these, um, higher vibrational ideas of myself or feelings that I feel it can really, uh, all the weeds around the tree will just die off. Yeah. And the more I, I just focus on that, it allows just everything to flourish, um, on so many different levels. I love it. I wanted to ask you though, cause how old was Paisley when you got together with she was seven okay so like i'm describing having this like masculine idea and then swinging into the feminine was there an awkward transition in the way of like hey this is how we've been doing it for six years or seven years so <laughs> i mean just the, fall in the line. dynamic is so different yeah. you know she has she has a biological father um who doesn't show up for her mm. and so i think you know my contract with with paisley at the time when she was seven it, um she was waiting for me it's what oh. it felt like and for no, me i'm so emotional lately i like <laughs> like honestly the smallest things make me make me cry and that when we brought gus home it didn't feel like we were um it didn't feel like we were bringing a new life in this world it felt like he was returning. He's waiting he was returning home yeah he was always there with us and he just he came home and those things are palpable you know and when you can sense that you know i really felt that way with her and uh, there was that happened where when I had my concussion, I was off work, so I was going through a huge upheaval, and you know she became this key to open up my heart on so many different levels. And the way that showed up for me was um, just the compatibility we had, and to open myself up in such a way, it led me to understand um, how powerful my heart is, and once I opened it, because it was closed off for such a long time. And all these barriers I had created, you know, was broken by a seven-year-old girl. Um, Isn't that beautiful? It was what a what a wonderful surprise! Yeah, such a powerful piece to the puzzle. And it was also <laughs> given to you by Haley too, in the sense right. of like she allowed you to show up in the way that you were authentically showing up, instead of trying to have you be a certain way. Like, and that's the difference of like masculine, feminine moms, dads of like you probably engage differently with Paisley than Haley does, and she allowed that rather than yeah. saying, "Oh, we've been doing this for." seven years this way so you need to also do it this way with us like she gave you the freedom to probably play with her a little bit differently yeah. and talk to her a little bit differently and coach her differently and that dynamic is allowed you also to be authentic that's a beautiful expression to look at it like Haley is gifting paisley john and that's something <laughs> that makes me cry a lot at home is i'll look at i'll look at leah with gus and i'll think to myself, the greatest gift I've ever given my son is Leah as his mom. Yeah. And you also. 
Yeah, I'm the second best gift. <laughs> like we said, the mother is very important, very yeah. important. And I, you know, uh, please refer to our previous episode, Mama Trauma, if you'd like to <laughs> hear sure. a little bit more about my story. Yeah, <laughs> I really, I really think that dads are just as important. Well, I, really, I really do. I'll tell you that I lacked a, a strong male role model in my life. And when that showed up for me, the amount of balance that I felt, because I was an emotional kid. And I was only raised by feminine. Mm -hmm. And that didn't serve me well, right? I mean, there's so many beautiful female qualities that we just disclosed, right? Intuition, you know, like just so many skills that I don't inherently possess. But what I needed was discipline. What I needed was a little like tough love. What I needed was to like get out of my head and get into my body. And that's what I experienced when I when I started having positive male role models. Like, you know, if wrestle or fucking go play catch or whatever yeah. but like get out of my head so yeah i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you i feel like in a very important role yeah. in my son's life um but that's that's his first connection with the feminine and yeah, as a man sure. on this earth who has navigated his life so much according to relationships with women mm-hmm. um i just i like that i think that we're setting him up for really great chance at like loving himself and, and trusting love. And that's also given by you guys having you working to have a healthy relationship. All right. Circling back. Here we go. Circling back, which really, because, you know, as we're saying, like if, if two thirds of, you know, relationships have like a decline in their satisfaction, we, we, we have more hostility, we have, you know, whatever, we have all this stuff that's not great in a relationship. So that means we have to think about that in a sense of that means that two thirds of the kids in America are coming from homes like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Like that's a lot of kids. Fuck. I would say more than two thirds. Cause even if your parents are cool, you're being raised by your friends, your friends, parents, you know, social media, all this shit, you know? Yeah. True. But the, the fact of being in a home like that, like that is your, that is your security, which is, yeah. which is that is your first point of, um, is of attachment is in your home. I know. And I so. feel like I showed up and was like, Oh fuck. I'm in survival instinct. <laughs> like this is not safe. Yeah. <laughs> Out of the two-thirds, what is the main issue or, let's say, main, um, I would say, obstacle to come across for for relationships? Uh the, I, I mean, let me see. Let me. I can give give it to you in two sentences. I would say the main obstacle is there's a decrease in the friendship and like, which also mm. includes like intimacy and affection and like adoration and conflict which is how do we how do we um just navigate conflict in general and on i'll be honest that is all relationships whether you have a a small child or whether you have an eight-year-old or whether you have an 18 year old or whether you have no kids that is to i mean when i see couples in my office like no one's coming into my office saying like we have great communication we're just here because we can't decide where to go on our vacation like no it's all (laughs) it's all about communication take their money (laughs) it's yeah right it's all about conflict it's all about communication through those things that is those are the two biggest things i would say and that that really get rocked when you have a baby also is that friendship and intimacy is, is one of, and romance get, um, they decrease. So I love, I love this concept of, you know, the transparency piece of communication, right? And when you're looking at, let's say uh, it's a window, right? Transparency to see each other. And sometimes there is a, uh, there is a gleaming light. You see a reflection of yourself. 
then you're missing the whole picture if you're just looking at yourself in an egotistical way. You're like, oh, how does my hair look this way? Or like when you're FaceTiming, right? You're looking at yourself while you're talking to someone. Uh, if you let go of that piece of the reflection of yourself and looking out the window towards someone, uh, you're able to see them without yourself, your reflection of yourself getting in the middle of it. Yeah, and that's that's exactly, like when I'm working with couples, that's exactly what we do is let's let go of yourself here and let's try to focus completely on your partner. If we all went into conversations with that like mantra of, I want to understand my partner. We would get out of that converse or get out of that argument amazingly. I know. Typically, we're going into the argument with, I need to let my partner know why they pissed me the heck off, <laughs> or I need to make sure that they never do this again. I need to persuade them to my point of view. Yeah. Typically, right? Like that's typically what happens. So when I'm seeing people, when I when I see work with couples, we stop that obviously because that cycle is clearly not working. That's why you're sitting here. Um, and it, we, and I train them essentially. I train, how do we have these conflict conversations? How do we postpone persuasion? Because I can't, I can't get you to come to my side if you don't even know my side. So how do I help? How do I have you understand things? And so, you know, when I'm working with couples, it's asking open-ended questions using, I mean, like these are things to do at home. It's like when you're having a discussion, ask your partner open-ended questions. Like, why is this difficult for you? Where has this shown up for you in the past? Why is it, um, how am I contributing to this? Uh, I mean, there's a million open-ended questions you can go into, but asking those types of questions helps you understand your partner. Mm. And if I can understand why they're acting or why they're, why this is painful for them, I can potentially, not that we're trying to persuade them, but I can help them understand why I potentially did something or why I reacted this way. If, I could, if there's a mutual understanding of each other's points of view, everything kind of makes more sense. Yeah. It really does. And that's been a big <clears throat> lesson for me is I kind of had like a, oh fuck moment when I realized I wasn't being empathetic, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I love what you're talking about as far as, um, taking yourself out of it. Right. Cause it's easy to see your kid as a mini me. Like I'm putting myself in his skin, yeah. you know, I'm like, what would I like? What would I did not mm. like all this shit, right? He's his own person, you know? Yep. And so in order for me really to show up for him, I can't just imprint you know, my own childhood or what was I made to feel when I was this sensitive or emotional or fussy or, you know, Mm -hmm. and so it, when we, when we sit down in this environment, it all makes perfect sense. You know what I mean? And and I, I strive to be this conscious at home and I, and I do try to enter into conversations without feeling defensive because so much of my life, if I meet opposition, I'm like, okay, I'm going to destroy you. Mm. And I think that's How what does I'm. How that go for you? Um, just depends <laughs> on what the goal is, you know. Like, if the goal is to teach someone a lesson, you know, it's. I, I guess How does it's worth your relationship. Fucking awful, <laughs> <laughs> awful, awful. Yeah. So I, you I know think- me. You know me better than a complete stranger, and maybe not as well as someone who you've treated for months. But yeah, I have said things in fights that I regretted immediately. Yeah. I have really like, and I don't like this about myself, right? I've done this since I was a kid. If you come at me with a jab, I'm going to go for a knockout. Mm. I don't like that. I'd rather show you, hey, you can jab me all you want, baby. You know what I mean? I'm here. I'm here to take these jabs. 
And the the idea, I don't remember if we talked about this last time when I came on, but the, the four horsemen, I think that I mentioned that before, but these are, the defensiveness is one of them. Like the four horsemen of the apocalypse is what uh, Gottman has, has called them. And when these four things are showing up in our relationship, they are the predictors of not having a successful relationship. Defensiveness is one of them. Stonewalling, contempt, and criticism. Those are the four. Um, hmm. And so when we're noticing those things in our relationship, like th- th- that's like an alarm bell going off. Oh, big time. Uh, I was experiencing things. The four horsemen are part of the apocalypse, FYI. Yeah. Well, that's, but that's, what, he, that's what he calls it. The end of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you have a four horsemen tab? Yeah. I yeah. Do. It's my, whole, dope. my whole sleeve in my arm is the four horsemen. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, then you have a constant reminder to never engage in these right. things. So <laughs> one thing I wanted to kind of address was, uh, you know, I was taught with Haley. She's very conscious about her menstrual cycle. And so, and for me, it brought a lot of attention of how to navigate around women's hormones of their menses. And I know now the Wednesday before her menses, I'm the bad guy immediately. And so I've kind of navigated around that in a certain way. Um, but also understanding that their, their energy levels dump during a luteal phase. I, th- I believe I'm not entirely sure, Great um, but it's, it's interesting to navigate around that, you know, consciously I'm, I'm recognizing her hormone levels and her ability to have high energy and where she's ovulating and her sex drive is ovulating. Right. And so that leads me into a window of understanding as well where she's at hormonally. Um, and that, that has really brought a lot of light into a different way of navigating womanhood really. And understanding that relate or my relationship with yeah. her. Absolutely. And, and it's a death and rebirth every single month. Exactly. And I think that most men chalk up PMS to like, oh God. Right. You know, are you fucking nagging me? I mean, it's a major upheaval and they do it once a month. And, you know, I'm experiencing uh postpartum yeah. hormonal shift at home. And so I love what you're getting into right now because you're you're such a, a conscious partner and you're dedicated to understanding your partner. And that's where I've tried to make certain breakthroughs is seeing truth, Mm. right? Because my, my reaction to not having sex after bringing a baby home is rejection. Mm. It's not rejection at all. She doesn't have the same desire Mm -hmm. that she did, you know, prior to giving birth, right? Her hormones aren't aligned that way. Mm. It's all about nurturing. It's all about taking care of this new life right and it's so interesting him being 10 weeks because they're like they're still tethered you know like they're still i I don't even think he sees her as mom i think he's like that's you know my source of life that's yeah that's god you know or you know like that's that's her and so yeah it's it's just um the discipline and seeing truth you know, getting out of your head and getting in your heart. For me, the heart space is where you see truth. For sure. You know, because I could come up with a million different, uh, you know, hypothetical uh, possibilities, all with a lens of my ego, and they're far from truthful. That idea of sex, sure. sex, though, is super important, you know, even post-baby. And I know that for some people, it's like it kind of becomes like off the table um, just because it's like, oh, we're too tired. Our hormones are all, you know, like raging in our bodies. And we have this, you know, infant sleeping two feet away from us. But it is still so important. That element of the relationship is still so, so crucial. And sex might look different, too, you know, and it we just touch touch in general is so critical to human beings Mm. we 
we know this from so many studies, it's actually kind of crazy, um, of how comforting physical touch is. Like, and it's kind of sad, you know, schools nowadays, like, if a kid's crying, like, we're told you're not supposed to touch kids anymore in schools. You're supposed to just talk to them. And they, um, I don't remember where the school was, but they have, it's called a, it's a do, it's called a do touch school. And it's a, they have, yeah. <laughs> That's they, weird. Terrible marketing. Well, no, it's a preschool. And they, ha- but they have, like, cameras in it. And so you can always see your kids. But they've, re- this is all research-based. Of There's been, out of 60 60 verbal phrases, only three of them bring kids comfort. Out of 60 touches, 57, 57 of them bring kids comfort, like when they're upset. I'm so glad you brought this up. Do you, By the way, do you know the three phrases that I could say to Gus to make him feel good? <laughs> I don't. I don't. Because okay, I've been saying a lot of like, <laughs> I know, and it's okay. <laughs> but um, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I fr- but but we, the, my, my, the point is, is that touch is so critical for comfort, right? And, yeah. and I, this is a study about kids, but it's also, it translates to adults as well. Like as adults, we need to have touch to feel comforted, to yes. feel connected. Um, they, I forget who, again, what researcher did it, but they studied just like touching in general. And as a culture here in America, we are, we don't touch. Right. Um, really? Yeah, Cause no. I lived in Taiwan and they really don't touch. Yeah. I, the, they, what they studied was people out to dinner for one hour and they did it in um, Paris, London, a city in Florida and shoot, I'm forgetting right now. Oh, Mexico city. And I think it was in Mexico city within an hour, the couple touched a hundred and like 85 times in Paris. It was like a hundred and I think 120 London was zero. (laughs) Damn British. Yeah. And here in in the city in Florida, they did it was only twice, two times like that. We are touching our partners. Uh, I like in French culture that they do the two kisses. Yeah. So it counts. They get two, two points points for that. (laughs) But I'm so glad you brought up touch. Did you have a, did you want to finish that point? No, I don't want to cut you off. Just that touch is so, is so crucial and so important. And so oftentimes we think, you know, sex has to be, we have to, in order for touch, we have to have sex. And it's like, well, that, Again, talking about expectations. Yeah. Shifting that of sex might not be literal sex. It oh, might yeah. We be... do a lot of back rubs and mm-hmm. foot rubs and mm-hmm. yeah, whatever we can get right now. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought up touch. Okay. Cause I want to do a little bit of, of a segue because even though I'm a new parent and I'm in a relationship, I really identify with single firefighters. I really find myself, I don't know if it's my age, you know, being 37 and kind of looking at these younger guys that are single, but I just, you know, Touch is so important. So I think about these guys that are getting pushed to the max at work, right? So many calls and the morale is low and they're getting recalled and they don't go home and, and get touched. Yeah. You know, they don't even have a dog because they do platoon duty. Yeah. So we have therapy dogs, right? That's a new thing in the, you know, in the fire service community. And there's something so special about petting an animal. Like if you don't have a child, or if you're not in a relationship, get an animal mm-hmm. because there's, you know, obviously Obviously, it's touching you, but also there's there's an act in being kind to something else. And I have <laughs> incorporated touch in my assessment recently because I've had an intention of being kind, yeah. right? Because kindness was not something that I had in my toolbox. I think in life, I, I was just like, I, I don't have space for it. It's not gonna it's not gonna serve sure. me. I mean, because I was so focused on manipulation, but now kindness is like my go to. So like I have calmed people down this week i you know i had a panic attack at an intersection at 2 a.m and i put my hand on his back he was a 30 year old dude i put my hand on his back and rubbed it i said hey brother you're gonna be okay Mm. 
And he looked at me like I gave him Dilaudid. You know what I'm saying? I gave him something that, that, that fixed how, everything. How powerful that is. Like it is oh, it's so incredible. powerful. Yet we're so resistant to it. We're so resistant to it. I mean, I guess there's a whole well, bunch of like Well, obviously COVID things. too. I mean, we stopped shaking hands. We stopped hugging, all of this stuff. <laughs> but I really, I, you know, all the single firefighters, like I think of you, okay? I know that it's a luxury that I have a relationship. I know it's a luxury that after three years of trying to stay pregnant, we have a son. Mm. I promise, Daniela, we're talking about a universal touch. We're talking about something that you can achieve in work right with with treating a patient obviously if it's appropriate and we're talking about having therapy dogs in mm -hmm. in your department i mean we got to push for more of these i know they're expensive but we've got the money or we could get a donation you know i want to see a dog at every station dude that's my, be that's my mission that'd be yeah, amazing i actually have a do i have two dogs and i actually used to bring them to work i i don't bring them as often any anymore since oh, like yeah. baby, are they little dogs yeah they're yeah little put dogs. them on like uh the lap of someone yeah, who can't open up i mean they love it like yeah. every time you know they come in they just sit with a client and they're just gonna like hang out <laughs> so, so speaking of touch i was very curious on your ability to perceive punishment so super huge right and I've come across this um, with Paisley, who's nine, you know, um, throwing fits. And when I was raised, I got a paddle and I was touched in that way for the most of my life. Um, granted, I was a rowdy child. Uh, my nickname growing up was uh, Trompo, which is a spinning top. And always seen as like a travieso in Spanish. That's like a class clown, you know. Mm. So I was always in trouble, but I got the paddle. Um, and, and looking later in my life and doing my own inner work, inner child work, I, it has led me to an under, understanding for myself that I'm a bad boy and shame for that. And so I had to work around that belief system and understanding for myself of, you know, I'm not a bad boy. And, but I, I would be more masochistic towards myself and self-punishing myself with workouts, the way I, I would uh, be really construed around my diet. Uh, obviously, that's been more so to help you know, my, my physical body, but these certain things, these walls I built around myself led from the punishment as a child. So I'm very curious about, you know, what is the best role as a parent to punish a child? Uh, Cause Oof. the old paradigm was, <laughs> how much time do we have? Was spanking. You know, it's you know so, I mean? John, it's and so interesting. And I think this is cause we're Capricorns. This yeah. is something that comes up for me often because I think worst case scenario, I have to control the situation, mm. right? We're always drawn back to control. Yeah. And, and that punishment is like the last straw on, I gotta bring control back into the household, right? If, mm. if Paisley's, you know, acting out or, or whatever. And before you give your answer, I just, because it's so relevant, I just finished um, Aubrey Marcus interviewing Laird Hamilton and mm. Gabby Reese. And Aubrey said that he was never punished his entire life, his parents explained to him mm -hmm. that his actions caused hurt mm. or they explained the impact of his behavior. And that was punishment alone mm. to know that he had hurt someone when it was unintentional. And so they got to him, right? They allowed him to punish himself through his own morality, but they never laid a hand on him. And he said that it kept him in order. The communication, the transparency kept him in order. Hmm. And so that's something that I heard recently today that, you know, we're not a we're not a spanking household. Every single book I've ever read has said punishment will drive a wedge between you and your child. That is not the way to get punishment through them. Punishment or spanking? 
Oh, sorry. Yes. Spanking. I, I love that you're so good at keeping me specific. <laughs> yes. Spanking. Okay. Because spanking does not eliminate the behavior. No. It, what does it instill? When that, when that paddle came out, uh, F that. Like, I'm scared now. Like, yeah. that hurt last Fear. time. And so it teaches you how to manipulate. It teaches you, okay, if I want to do this again, I got to do it in a way that I don't get caught so I don't get paddled. But it doesn't, it doesn't tell you like, oh, I can never do that again. It just, it, it, it makes you smarter. At some <laughs> it makes point, you a better liar. At some point in my developmental childhood age, I uh, knew I was doing something bad, yeah. per se, like question, or like a question mark in my ethics of my mind. And I knew I was going to get spanked, but I didn't care anyways. Yeah. You know, I actually liked getting spanked at that point. I was like, I don't give a shit. Just yeah. spank me. It doesn't hurt anymore. Mm. So it gave me this uh, different concept, you know, and that, I think that bit of my anarchy self produced through that um you know but in the end my parents they they really taught me unconditional love they would sit me down and say hey you know what you did blah 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 um we forgive you we're gonna enter this this piece of forgiveness with it so it was um you know just more so like a religious way of handling it um but it was the way i was raised you know and uh it's just interesting to see that dynamic how it, it caused me uh to think of like a belief system that limited me really and on my actions. We, I mean, the numbers, we don't know specific numbers, but it's estimated that still 40 to 50% of households still use spanking as a form of, you know, punishment, which is mind boggling to me. Like just yeah, because of the research that we know around this, it's mind boggling. But we've also me, but. talked on this podcast about leaping our lineage, you know, and yeah. it takes, it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. Okay. It takes, it takes a lot of um, curiosity and a commitment mm -hmm. to and doing things differently and it's it's honestly scary to throw the playbook out and so i think a lot of people regress to the playbook and i've i've regressed you know like in the first two months of my son's birth i showed up in ways where i was like what the fuck you know yeah. and it, it came by surprise yeah. and so i i can just picture that new parent just going into their default setting of what was done to them and spanking their child and being like, whoa, what the fuck just happened? And there's, a, so that's what I spend myself, you know, spend my time doing is like preparing myself. I try to put my, and this, we've talked about this so many times. You, you can't understand your mental health if you don't put yourself in uncomfortable situations, 100%. right? So I like that I've been uncomfortable with Gus before. I like that I've had to put him in his bouncer in the living room and go to the bedroom and scream into a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> I like that I've had to ask Leah to please take Gus out of the bedroom. And as, as soon as they, you know, were in the kitchen or whatever, I punched my mattress 10 times. So, you know, I'm trying to understand a positive way of holding emotions and releasing them and not just transferring yeah. them onto my kid. So yeah. for us in our household, touch is sacred. Yeah. I don't want any sort of violent <clears throat> touch. I don't think that's the way that I'm going to teach lessons or build bonds. Yeah, I ha my dad made a paddle that was called La Bonita, the beautiful. Oh my goodness. It was like, <laughs> that's what it was called. But so no, much, so in the so end, much there. But yeah, let's it, talk about, I want to finish because yeah. she was going to give her uh, insight into yeah, not just to punishment, but um, we were, we went from touch to punishment. So we're kind of talking about spanking. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're kind right. of talking yeah. about spanking, yeah. not necessarily like how to punish a three-year-old with like a timeout. Yeah. Um, Sorry, so what was the question? Just what is my opinions on punishment in yeah. general? I mean, again, I think it has to be age appropriate. And I kind of agree with what you were saying in the sense of, I don't think that there should never, there's there's consequences, natural consequences to things. And I think that 
if we have the ability ourselves to not get activated and not get uh, escalated when our child has a behavior that we disagree with, Mm. we can show up and explore that behavior with them and have a conversation around that behavior with them. You know, my daughter right now, she's in, uh, she started preschool and she's now learned how to hit, which my daughter is like, you know, she's a really she's kind of like an angel child honestly it's like very sweet very innocent and she's like started hitting and i'm like what the heck is happening here yeah and so i could easily you know like that's activating you know the other day like she hit me like eight times and i like every time i was like madison our hands are for are for high fives are for hugging you know whatever and so it's like it's talking to her you know could what could I easily do? Like I could yell at her and I'll be honest with you after the eight times she did it, I, I was, I had like hit my threshold and I was, I did get upset and I was like, Madison, stop it. <laughs> and then she gets, she responds to that. She, yeah. start, she starts crying. Like she did something wrong and she did. I mean, in a way she did do something wrong, but I don't need to shame her. She's three. She's, she's mimicking behavior that she's seeing. She's mimicking behavior that has been done to her at school. So why would I not engage in this behavior? It's my job as a parent to educate her and to teach her in a way that she has space to feel safe enough to actually explore that behavior. Yeah. Um, Because when we instill fear, children are no longer safe to explore behaviors. And so, you know, when when you're asking about punishment, I, I really have the belief of talking to your kids explaining to your kids obviously you know it's age appropriate um and holding boundaries also mm. with your kids of you know if my, my daughter was to continue to hit me like and i did say this the other day, I was like if you if you hit me again madison i'm going to leave the room because i don't like it when you're hurting my body i love how many i statements you just said and i love setting a boundary yeah. i mean these are really like mature and very like current parenting tricks that i just I never heard that growing up. No, you know what I mean? It was all about you. It was all about you, you, you. Your hitting is making you, you know, hostile and I can't yeah. be around you. But you're taking ownership over how she's making you feel, mm-hmm. right? So you're teaching her her actions have consequences, right? Yeah, and, she's, and, and in a way, in this, in, in holding that boundary, right? Because I also don't want her to be codependent, thinking that like she's responsible for my feelings. Um, fuck this is all complex dude. <laughs> it, and it is it really is and that's why I'm like how much time do we have because we can you know talk, again we can talk about this for 12 hours right yeah um, but you know I don't want her to be responsible for my feelings but I also want like I have to hold that boundary of like this is not okay for me for you to hurt my body so I'm gonna leave the room if you can't if you're gonna cont- if you need to engage in this behavior I'm not gonna participate in it so, and then you follow through on that oh yeah right? I mean she so stops she yeah. typically stops something that came across pretty interesting was uh is watching a child make a mistake you know and just letting them make the mistake how hard is that uh, it's actually really fascinating at some point i was like let me just sit back here and just observe and it it they learn from their own mistakes oh for sure which is it's, cool to witness it them, shows like, maturity oh, shit, like, for you to restrain yourself like that yeah and it became now it's more so like a project and mm-hmm. then once they make the mistake now i come in as a teacher be like hey did you, so what did you think you did. You know who's more willing to do that, men or women? <laughs> who would you guess? Um, I don't know, men. Yeah. 
men are usually more willing to allow their kids to make mistakes. Oh yeah, I mean, Leah, like, the thought of him this. falling down and scratching his knee. Oh, is for like, sure, oh, yeah. that's major surgery. Right. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, yeah, dude. Yep. You're exactly. Let's get this over with so we can go buy motorcycles. Yes. <laughs> so do you see the importance again, like reinforcing that, like met the the role of the father and the mother are so critical, right? Like, yes, it's important as a you know because mothers naturally they instill a little bit more caution. Yeah. So yes, please be careful, like when you're doing things, but also go explore like that that element of like the the dad's gonna be like yeah go do it <laughs> please don't fall off the cliff you know whatever but like there you need both you otherwise you have high anxiety if i'm if i'm only exposed to be careful be careful be careful i'm gonna i'm not gonna trust myself right i'm not gonna trust myself at all i'm not gonna say be careful i'm gonna say focus or, or uh, the question that I asked, have asked Madison, you know, when she was like learning how to play on play structures is like, how does your body feel right now? Like, cause my, I'm fucking anxious while you're standing on the edge of, and there's an opening right there. I'm like, how she's does, like, I feel like I could fly. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and it's like asking like, how does your body feel? Like, does your body feel okay? Let's have your body be on, you know, two feet on the ground. Yeah. But one of my, one of my ancestral traits from my mother was uh, having this pattern of worry because she would always coddle me and try to make me not like just not do anything really and i was just like you know skateboarding you know going off these huge ramps at a younger age i think i was like i don't know 10 or 11 when i started skateboarding and but her way of showing up with that worriness caused me to worry subconsciously mm-hmm. so that really caused you know this this thought process pattern for myself later in my life and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. I get how moms are very motherly and they don't want their child to hurt themselves, you know, but that later down the road for myself, it really caused something, um, that I still have, you know, that I still work on. And, and I think that that's an element too of like, again, how can I regulate myself? Because if I am anxious, if I, which I'm, I'm not an anxious mom, sometimes I feel like I need to be a little more anxious, but <laughs> it's like, but if I, if I'm an anxious mom, who's going to receive that? my child then mm. so then they're going to probably pick up on that anxiety oh yeah and they are probably therefore going to be anxious themselves for sure yes and that's what happened to me right i mentioned i lived in my head my whole life i was raised by the feminine there was a lot of worry passed yeah. down to me there was a lot of like what are other people gonna think of this mm-hmm. that's why i was like outsourcing a, a lot but this is great because we do have maybe 15 more minutes or so. So I kind of want to like tie it all back into the relationship because we're, we're saying the same things, right? The mother's important. The father's important, but how does the mother and the father interact, right? You have to trust one another, right? You have to communicate, right? So, so I found that in the last two months and it's been a roller coaster, but like I said, when I can show up in a conversation with empathy, when I can show up with mutual respect, when I can appreciate her for giving certain, you know, actions to him that are going to benefit him and then also seeing all that for myself as well and not having a disagreement not having an opposition but a collaboration these are the things that are easier said than done yeah and doing all of that when you're not excluded is probably going to be my first piece of i guess advice is because when we are feeling threatened or when we are feeling excluded in any capacity flooded is the term for it um None of this goes well. Like we are in fight or flight mode. Our body is doing all sorts of wild things when we're in fight or flight mode. Um, And to go into any conversation with anyone, you know, whether that be a coworker, your boss, and in this case, like your partner in your relationship, you can't. Like you literally can't. Like 
evolution the evolution's crazy but this has not changed right like when we when we feel threatened when we feel attacked our body our pulse goes up yes and honestly and this sounds so crazy because it's not personal but when my baby cries i feel attacked that that it's fight like, or flight mode is it's triggered when your a, baby yeah, cries yeah it's yes. touching a nerve yes. in my my whole nervous system it's yes. putting me on edge yes. Yep. Our, you know, our heart rate goes up, blood from our arms and our legs starts to go to our, our middle part of our section. We, you know, our, we turn, uh, what is it? We, I forget what it is. Glycose into glycogen or something like for like sugar for our blood, like, and we start to have more fluid in our abdomen as if we're going to be like struck by like a, an arrow or like a saber toothed tiger is going <laughs> to like attack us. And it's like, no, a saber tooth tiger's not attacking you. Your baby's just crying. Yeah. Like, but but our body is responding literally the same as right. if we're being attacked. And same thing also, like when our partner comes at us and is like, he's don't you hear him crying? Aren't you gonna get him? And you go like, Oh my gosh, like you go yeah. you go into that mode, right? If I go into a conversation like that, it's not gonna go well. Right. It's totally and- not gonna go because what am I doing? I have to protect myself. Literally my body is trying to protect itself. And so that is exactly what's going to happen in a conversation is I'm going to just protect myself. I'm not gonna hear you. I'm not gonna collaborate with you. I'm not gonna empathize with you. I'm not gonna validate you. None of that's gonna happen. So recognizing and some people don't even know that this is happening for them. No, because we're you know, we're trying to um, encourage people to be conscious of their narrative. Right. So in that narrative, if I feel like a victim or I feel shame as a bad parent and I feel like it's an attack, just even using that word attack, what am I going to do? I'm going to get defensive. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not an attack. It's a challenge or it's a test or it's an opportunity. That's where I really like the narrative that I use typically lately is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to learn. I've entered into a journey with a new life. Right. I, yeah. I've known his mom for three years but him and I are brand new. And so we're on a journey together, right? And I'm learning him and he's learning me. And and I think embracing that I'm here to learn, right? And I'm not here to control, right? Because approval and disapproval and, and getting your baby to be compliant and sleep through the night, I don't think that's my goal, you know? I don't think that's his goal. Yeah. They're not roommates. Yeah. Like he's meant to test me and I'm meant to teach him. Like, yeah. And as you're saying these things, I, I, it almost sounds like you could say the exact same thing with Leah too, right? Of like, I'm here to learn. I'm here to understand. I'm here, to, you know, all of that stuff is, that's actually what you're doing or should be doing uh, and trying to do with, is, with our partner. Okay. So is, the, I just had a moment where if you see Daniela or if you're curious about seeing her, I had a moment where she just said something that like friends wouldn't point out. You know what I mean? That's the gift of a therapist, right? Is I'm connecting these dots and she says wait a second now it's a triangle you know and then that reframing that like sigh of like aha breakthrough that is the beautiful experience of going to therapy so thanks for that one that one was free (laughs) (laughs) you You know in the end with all all this stuff there's so many parts of it that equals the whole and the more patient you are with everything, your relationships, your children, your job, your inner work, they refer patients as a virtue for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that virtue leads into a leader of yourself. And when you're able to lead yourself and, and serve yourself, you're able to serve others in, in a certain way and be that role model um, without even realizing it. Um, it's 
a lot easier said than done. But if you can take a moment to just, you know, honor family, seriously, it's the medicine. And we, tr- we teach unity. And part of that unity is bringing the family into the forefront of our fire service, what mm-hmm. we do. And I just want to kind of, uh, I'll just encourage the fire service, uh, you know, especially in our line of work with LAFD, bring family to the fire stations a bit more. Um, we're missing that, that piece, you know, it's been really, uh, untethered for quite some time. And when we bring those, uh, then right now I really feel like all of our courage and our mental health is hanging by a thread. Let's bring back family to the firehouse and really bring that momentum because that piece will really bring back mental health on a tremendous level. I really feel that, um, on all fronts. Yes. Yeah, it's and dogs and family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that that, you know, that element is so true, right? And thinking about like, if we, you know, if you have a new baby at home or even kids, it doesn't even have to be a new baby. If you have kids at home and like, and if your relationship is suffering and then you go into work, like that is also, pro- you're probably not going to be a hundred percent. And so it's like, how can we feel more confident in our relationships how can we have the tools for communication i mean like i said i could go on and on and on and on and on about this um i have tons of training like you know couple anything couples anything relationship is like my bread and butter um and so i'm passionate about this stuff and it's so and you and your field like is is really unique right because it, it there's you have you have a family at work and you also have families at home and they also look very different like mm. how you how you operate and communicate with your family at work is probably not going to go very well when you try to bring that home. And so using, using obviously different strategies in the romantic relationship because the work one's not going to be very great at home. Yeah. And we've discussed that before. Like there's certain traits that I, I love that I get to exercise at work, but I've had to learn don't work so well at home. And that just takes discipline, right? Mm -hmm. Cause at first I was like, Oh, this is great. I'm, I'm this guy and I get to be this guy everywhere. And it's like, no dude, Yeah, no one gets to be that everywhere. Right. Like you, you're always going to be adaptable, right? You're always going to kind of fit, um, whatever, puzzle you're a part of yeah so i mean carl young is the one you know he he's the one who kind of like has turned like we have different parts of ourselves like mm-hmm. and the integration of all of the different parts of ourselves mm-hmm. makes us who we are and i like, want to read more young because like we talked about we had a whole episode on shadow work mm-hmm. he's sort of godfather that concept but i so if people because i gotta get out of here but if people want to come and see you for this right if like we've we've talked in a previous episode about how you can Google Daniela Bora and we'll put her information on the post on Instagram and Spotify and all of that. But if someone's curious about what they've learned today, the coursework, the the stuff based on Gottman's teachings, how would they enter um, into like a, a workshop with you? Um, so I was telling you this before. I, I, I this might be a little bit jumping the gun here, but I'm, I'm, my intention is to reach out to the union and see if this is something that they would be willing to collaborate on. I love it. Let's put that out in the universe right now. If they'd be willing to essentially like sponsor it. Um, I have a colleague that I do this workshop with. Um, we, we lead it together. So would it be like a classroom, like multiple couples show up? Oh yeah. yeah, Oh fuck. Yeah. yeah. That sounds awesome. Lots of, lots of couples. It's not a one-on-one thing. It's a group setting. Um, you know, our guest, uh, Kendall, Anne Yoga yeah. from San Diego. She does couples retreats, first responders. Mm-hmm. Go come and do ice baths together, all yeah. of that stuff. I think it's really healthy. Yeah. 
Yeah, so this is group work. Um, it's If I were to be doing it for fire, it would probably be over the course of... I would obviously have to do it like shifts. Um, and so I would you know, do three days on an A-shift day and three days on, like, whatever. Um, I, yeah. need, I need to reach out to the union to see if this is something that they are willing to have. I also, um, like I said, I'm also trained in what's called seven principles of making marriage work. That one's a little bit shorter. I don't remember how long that one is. I want to say maybe it's, I don't know, I think you can do anywhere from, like, four to eight hours. I don't remember. But I'm also going to talk to them about that because if people don't have kids and they're just, that's not where they're at or they have kids that have left the house um, and they're really just focusing just on their marriage, then it, it kind of takes away the piece of the baby part. Right. Um, but yeah, but I mean, there's just so many, there's, there is a lot of resources and yeah, go to my website, daniellabora.com. You can email me if you want to make an appointment or yeah. Yeah. And I've been to her office. It's awesome. It's in Manhattan <laughs> beach. Lots of good parking. Yeah. Really enjoyable space. Um, well, amazing. Thank you so much for yeah. coming on. And, you know, I think the takeaway for this for me is like, if you're a new parent or a step parent or a co-parent, or you're not a parent at all, what we're talking about is how to enter into a conscious relationship, mm-hmm. how to communicate with empathy, how to respect each other's strengths and weaknesses, and how to not get activated, how to not get triggered. Right. So, so much of our behavior is um, affected by our nervous system. We're in a fight or flight. Yeah. And it's not to not get triggered because we're never going to not be triggered. It's how to navigate the triggers. (laughs) I love you, honestly, (laughs) because that's another therapy aha moment. Because the way that I speak, right, like you can tell that a fantasy of mine is to be this like, yeah. Wouldn't that be great if we never had triggers? We'd be like, oh my gosh, we'd be like unicorns. (laughs) Yeah. But you're absolutely right. Trying to reframe it. And, and, and I'm experiencing that right now. You know, when I get pushed to my limit, I'm really saying, okay, this is this is making you bend. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to bend, yeah. right? That's a that's a true sign of strength is that flexibility. So bend, brother. You're not gonna break. Your your baby's not crying to no. to get so that you get a divorce. You know what no. I mean? Your baby is, you know, living his life and you guys are interacting and this is a collaboration of a family. So just go through our previous episodes. Just just get on board with our mission for unity and getting back into your parasympathetic state, <laughs> learning how to come off that ledge yeah. and approach all of life's challenges with a, a present and open mind. Yeah. yeah, lastly too, like the more you are honoring the seat of self and what that means is being the witness to how your mind is reacting Um you know, as you gain that relationship, it grows and it becomes more mature. So the biggest monster in your head for a trigger gets less and less. The moment you begin to do what we call the great work, which is just looking at yourself. And the more you can do that, the more that maturity level for yourself begins to gain its traction. It uh, it serves you in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And that's part of watering that tree, that tree of life, that tree of your family, and it, it will definitely be a benefit, but it takes a moment to just uh, have, have even go to a therapist for you to understand what that means to you. Yeah, there has to be a willingness, you know. It's, I mean, how much easier is it to say, like, you change this? Like, if you stopped doing this and I would feel better. It's like, it's so much right. easier if you do the work than me. But having that willingness, but that doesn't take away the trigger, right? Because it's like, yeah, you can stop doing that behavior, but then someone else is going to do something and it's gonna, I'm going to be right back into that trigger. That's yeah. the exact trigger. So it's like... At the end of the day, it's going to show up. 
it's going to show up. So you have to be, I shouldn't say you have to, but we should be, you know, having the desire to do that work for ourselves, to be able to show up into the relationship better, to be more present, to be more whole so that we can show up into our parent-child relationship, present, whole, um, the best versions of ourselves. It's all work. You know what I'm saying? Getting a fucking divorce is work. Yeah. A <laughs> custody battle is work. Yep. All of this is work. So let's work at making this shit work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things, you know, Gottman says is, is like when you pick a partner, you pick a set of problems, you know? And so it's like you're picking to, to work with this person. Yeah. Like you're, you're picking this set of problems. Like you got to work on it. Like if you leave this problem and go to the next one, you're going to have problems in that one. So might as well work on it. You know, you got to just exactly. stop and work eventually. Yeah. Wonderful. And treat yourself with compassion and kindness because all this shit's hard. You know, we're finding ourselves in different environments with different challenges and shame. Is, it's not very productive. No. So if that's a trigger for you, just understand it. Like John said, witness it. But then let's try to transmute that shame into into um, some positive growth. Yep. So find us on spotify and apple Podcasts. please leave us a positive review it helps us spread the word it helps us get seen um we're on instagram at grab lives underscore podcast daniela you've got an instagram page it's mostly your family right yeah it's not it's not professional just google search daniela bora (laughs) b-o-r-a-h and she pops up her phone number she'll return your call awesome office in manhattan beach pretty much our resident therapist you know we've had two (laughs) two repeat guests wolf Pernananda and Daniela Bora. And we're we're so honored to have you here. And of thank course. you so much for continuing the relationship you have with us. And you've been with us, you know, along the journey, you know, how do we transition home? Now how do we transition home as a family? Yeah. So thank you yeah. so much thank for course. giving us all your wisdom. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for letting me take up space. Yeah. Thank you.